Hello, and welcome to the Understanding Autism podcast, where we talk about issues related to those in the autism and greater neurodiverse community. I'm your co-host, Brett Thayer. And I am Nicole Kabilis. Today's episode is about why people on the autism spectrum are uncomfortable making eye contact and how to support someone that struggles with it. The stereotype is that people with autism don't make eye contact because they are oblivious, indifferent, or lack interest in social situations. Brett, from your experience as a parent to an autistic adult, do you think that this is true and the sole reason that people with autism don't make eye contact? Of course not. So as we're going to find out in this podcast, there's going to be a lot of different reasons why somebody on the spectrum struggles with this this issue. And mm-hmm. while and while my son did uh, avoid eye contact, it wasn't because he was oblivious or indifferent or lacked interest in our conversations. Mm-hmm. Do you know, did Josh struggle with eye contact and any other factors? Was it hard for him to learn to make eye contact? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this was one of the things that resonates with me as a parent of a child who's on the spectrum. Joshua struggled mightily with eye contact. Um, And at the time, I didn't know why. So this podcast is going to help us kind of dissect those issues. Mm -hmm. So how about you, Nicole? Um, Do you relate to having um, issues with eye contact? You know, since starting this podcast, I've tried to notice a little bit more when I struggle with eye contact and when I don't. I'm actually really comfortable with making eye contact if I'm listening to people. I tend to not make eye contact when I'm talking. And I think a big part of that is my processing speed. I'm very thoughtful when I think and when I talk. And so I guess the biggest reason that I don't make eye contact is because I'm I'm trying to maybe reduce more social stimuli so I can really get my thought across. But I don't feel like I avoid eye contact because I have social anxiety. I will say another example, which I I don't know how much of this is an autistic thing or if it's kind of a human thing. I definitely avoid eye contact when I'm in conflict with somebody. Uh, a perfect example is that's, when my husband... That's hus- a normal thing. That's yeah, a normal thing. Yeah, totally. So, so when my husband and I are in conflict, I definitely avoid eye contact a lot in those situations. And I, and again, I think part of it is I get really easily overwhelmed in conflict, but I'm also trying to be very thoughtful and kind of slow down, take out the emotion so that I can really focus on the words. Um, the other thing too, uh, I can make eye contact and glaze off and be in my own head if the topic doesn't interest me. And some people have caught on that. So I think to kind of summarize my experience, um, I don't avoid eye contact because of anxiety. I avoid it mainly because of processing and thinking. What about the um, idea if you're engaged in a conversation that's interesting, or if you're talking about something of special interest, does that have any factors of eye contact for you? Uh, I, I guess not. I've never really thought about it. Um, I think I do. I'm, you know, passionate. I want to engage uh, people in what I'm interested in. But I also think that being a teacher, you have to be really good at eye contact because you want people to feel heard. So for me, 
I would say that my comfort with eye contact and engaging is really coming from a place of making other people feel heard and seen rather than showing my excitement for a topic. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, how about Josh? So Josh, as you know, this is him as a child, right? So if he's fully engaged in something, then he'll he's more likely to have eye contact than not. So I think if something is of interest to him, but even then he's not going to continue with eye contact, engaging for a long period of time. But it mm -hmm. will be more often if he's engaged in a topic or conversation that he's interested rather than not. Has Josh been able to handle eye contact better as an adult rather than as a kid? Oh, I think so. And we'll we'll talk about ways to help somebody on the spectrum um, practice eye contact or, or or think about things of factors that might challenge somebody to avoid eye contact more accurately. But we'll, we'll talk, talk about some of the things that I've done for Josh, and maybe this will be helpful as well. Perfect. So let's get into the three biggest causes for lack of eye contact, and those are emotional, sensory, and neurological. Let's start with neurological. In 2017, there was a study done by the Massachusetts General Hospital. And this was all done about figuring out why people with autism don't make eye contact. What they discovered is that there is an overactivation of subcortical brain structure, which is responsible for processing visual and emotional information by looking at faces. Facial expressions will impact neurotransmitters in the brain to be excitatory or stimulating and alert or inhibitory, which means calm and centered. For the autistic brain, direct eye contact and strong emotional expression overactivate the excitatory neurotransmitters, and that creates overwhelm, resulting in avoiding eye contact and social anxiety. That's comparable to anxiety, agitation, and exhaustion when looking at a blue light screen for long periods of time. They also discovered that forced eye contact, especially during behavior therapy, will create more anxiety and PTSD. They believe that slow habituation is better. A really great example to think about it if you're a parent or a therapist, it's like if you're going to the gym all the time without getting a break versus taking breaks and taking exercise slow over a longer period of time. It's the difference between building a muscle versus damaging a muscle. All right, so the, the second way is uh, sensory. And so this is something that I can relate to a lot of, as being a parent of an autistic child. This, this makes sense to me with my son. So sensory is having too many sensory experiences at once to take it all in while engaging into a social conversation. So this might be all of these things that are, that for the autistic brain is, is seeing, right through eye contact, which could be, you know, voice tone, body language, filtering out environmental noises, etc. So for example, um, if there's a, a physical thing that the person on the spectrum is going through, like a migraine, sure hard to deal with that in the pain in your, your mind and that, that physical trauma that you're feeling and having eye contact at the same time. Uh, a good analogy of this is for those, you know, for those of us who've taking a second language. When we're taking a second language and we're in a conversational practice, 
and we need to develop fluency in that second language. Often we have to hear what this stimulus is. So the other person speaking in this different language is asking us this question. We in our brain have to process what that is and what that means. And then we have to utter a response that's appropriate. That's kind of something that's happening in the autistic mind as well. As they're taking in all of the sensory information, they need that moment to process all of those inputs to engage in appropriate response. So removing eye contact then is a way to reduce some of that sensory stimuli from a conversation to better process the information. So it's not like a person on the spectrum who's avoiding eye contact with you is not listening you, listening to you or hearing you. They're just processing what you're saying in a different way um, so they can respond appropriately. Okay, so uh, if somebody is, another example would be engrossed or distracted with colors or patterns or some other environmental something that's happening, perhaps a fidget toy during a conversation, um, this might also be a distraction or, or something else that's causing um, a delay in understanding and, and responding appropriately, hence avoiding eye contact. So what I, what I want to give an example now is um, an amazing person, Ido Kedar. He is um, in his late 20s right now, but he has written two books. One of them is um, In Two Worlds and Ido in Autism Land. So he's on the spectrum, but he's nonverbal. And so in his books, in his conversation with um, a Los Angeles Times interview in 2013, he called, um, he compares autism to being on LSD. So you, you have all of the sensory stimuli, which can be trippy, pleasant, vibrant, and tremendously overwhelming all at once. And this is why it can take a lot of time to focus and engage in a social interaction and can be emotionally draining. Mm -hmm. And I would strongly recommend anybody who's listening to read Ed Ido Kadar's books, In Two Worlds and Ido in Autism Land. They kind of tell the same story. One is more nonfiction, the other is fiction. If you really want a visceral understanding of what the nonverbal sensory experience is, definitely read In Two Worlds. Lastly, and we'll put, we'll put yeah. those um, links in our podcast notes. So we have podcast notes and then I, I do a blog as well, but we'll put those links in our, our website, which is understandingautism.info. Perfect. All right. Lastly, we're going to talk about the emotional triggers to why people won't make eye contact. So people with autism want to make human connections, but they get bored easily talking or listening about things that don't engage them. Lack of eye contact is a nonverbal cue signaling wanting to wrap up the conversation that they're not interested in or they want to do something else. And they might not have the language to be able to say, hey, we need to wrap it up. So for a person with autism, it's more comfortable to just avoid eye contact or even directly leave the conversation than telling someone that they need to talk about something else. Eye contact is also a form of trust building and a connection between two people. Eyes are windows of the soul. Being seen literally and figuratively can be very overwhelming for someone with autism, especially to see and be seen by a stranger that they don't fully trust yet. Avoiding eye contact is also a defense mechanism due to past experiences with social judgment and alienation. 
Avoiding eye contact is a way for a person with autism to put up a wall between them and the other person. Definitely forcing eye contact is not the way to go. In fact, Maxfield Sparrow believes that this is really abusive towards people with autism. In 2016, he wrote a blog post under his own blog called Unstrange Minds, and he said that he witnessed a seven-year-old girl coming out of an ABA clinic with her family. Her parents used physical force to assure eye contact, such as grabbing her face and laying her on her back to force looking at her parents. The girl finally gave her parents eye contact to make the physical force stop, not because she was comfortable with making eye contact. According to Maxfield, he says human contact is more important than forced eye contact. Actually, I think I said that wrong. Human connection is more important than forced eye contact. Forced eye contact hinders human eye contact. Okay. And then so all of us struggle with eye contact. And so some of the reasons why neurotypical people don't make eye contact Avoiding confrontation with a stranger in the elevator or other social situations, trying to keep it together when we're sad or we're anxious, angry, or ashamed, disengaging from a fight or getting into trouble, disengaging from an angry or confrontational debate, especially if you're interacting with a heated child or teenager. As a former teacher, I can totally relate to that. I can agree too. <laughs> Organizing your thoughts and crafting a statement during your conversation. I frequently do that if I, especially if I'm in a a situation or a conversation where I want to get it right and I need to be delicate, I'm going to not have eye contact. I'm going to I'm going to roll my eyes to the right or to the left, typically to the right if I'm thinking about it. Think about what I'm going to say, try to be thoughtful and then respond, re-engage eye contact. So that's organizing my thoughts. Um challenging withholding interest or conversation for a long period of time can be challenging for all of us. Um technological distractions as a phone or a TV. Huh. Something else I've experienced as a teacher. Somebody's, I'm pulling out a kid in the hall and we need to talk and they're on their phone. It's like, no, 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 no. Put the phone away. We need to talk. Right? Yeah. Can I also add something oh, to that? Please. So just recently, when I was working at my previous school, our substitute coordinator had a son on the spectrum or has a son on the spectrum that's in middle school. And she noticed that he would frequently avoid eye contact and mask that he had autism by playing around on his phone. And in his mind, he's thinking, well, all of my peers are doing this. I can do the same thing. So what I, what I kind of like about that is it is sort of a defense mechanism, but it's a very normalized way that all of us avoid eye contact. Absolutely, absolutely. And it, if if I'm pulling out a kid in the hall as a as a classroom teacher and they're in trouble, guarantee you they're not going to look at me, right? They're going to look down because they're in trouble. And I'm going to tell them this is why your behavior is a problem and I want you to fix it. And this is how you need to fix it. And then I might, you know, I might say, do you understand? And at that point, that is a verbal cue for them to look at me and they say they understand and then they go and then it's over. Right. For a person on the spectrum, they might not get that cue and still not look at me. And then as a teacher, not understanding where they're coming from, I might take further offense of that and then escalate the situation, which we don't want to do. 
All right, so that kind of goes into reasons why neurotypical people don't make eye contact. So this is everything that happens to all of us, but if you're on a spectrum, take that and then times 10. So cultural values with eye contact. So this is really interesting. If we think about cultural norms and expectations in Western culture, US, Canada, Europe, Australia, eye contact is a way to show assertiveness as a sign of respect, sincerity, confidence, and breaking eye contact is considered rude. While in Asian cultures, it could be the opposite. So avoiding eye contact can be a form of respect for somebody's um, personal space or um, to acknowledge the uh, superior-inferior relationship, especially between gender. In Middle Eastern countries, eye contact is only made with family and friends. Again, for the, the gender expectations, women are not expected to make eye contact with men of not their own families, although eye contact is encouraged with people of the same gender. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there was also a point that we left out, uh, another reason why neurotypical people may avoid eye contact. Eye contact is a way to avoid um, interacting with somebody who is very controlling and manipulative in an abusive relationship. In those dynamics, the abuser demands eye contact to assert dominance, and the victim will avoid eye contact um, to basically establish quiet assertiveness. If they end up making eye contact with their abuser, it's a form of submission. What we're trying to put out there is that there are so many reasons why so many different people avoid making eye contact. And it's a very normal human behavior. So why do parents, teachers, and therapists get so fixated on making sure people with autism master eye contact all the time? What do you think, Brett? I think it's part of what the quote-unquote normal part of social expectations in our society is all about, right? So the things that we talked about earlier with um, what's expected in Western culture. So you have a fear of negative social consequences, judgment, alienation, bullying, or job loss coming off as rude and dis disrespectful if you're not engaging in eye contact, or you can come off as being aloof. Social skills are a huge part of, our, um, of a person's sur survival in society, but also of our workplace relationships and establishing connection to other people. People feel like they're heard if you can look at them, especially if you're engaging in a personal conversation, right? Having that engagement reflects or signals to the person that I care about you and what you're saying. So masking a person's autism as a way to protect them from social emotional harm. Nicole, you talked about that. And the other part of it is that much of our communication with others includes eye contact. So yeah. as, as uh, an autistic adult, Nicole, do you, what do you think the solutions or what could be some solutions with people who struggle with this issue on the spectrum? Mm -hmm. I want to talk about it from the perspective of my own experience with eye contact and then also working with students on the autism spectrum and classroom settings. I do think eye contact is important, but not in every single social situation. And I think that the problem when it comes to parents and teachers, therapists, caregivers, is they stress eye contact literally in every single social situation. And, I, and as I talked about earlier, if you're forcing eye contact 
all the time, that's no different than being forced to work out for hours without a break. Autistic children should not have to feel like they have to mask their autism or act normal at home. That should be the place where a person with autism can unwind and be their neurodiverse self. They should also be able to relax and be themselves around their parents, which would be the most trusting relationship. It's more important for a child to decompress at home than it is to master eye contact. It's also important to find a teacher that the child likes that would be fine with not requiring eye contact so that they have a break in their day. When I was teaching, I would do this with some of my students on the autism spectrum. If I knew on their 504 or their IEP that they did have autism, I would pull them aside privately and I would, you know, first off tell them I'm also autistic. And then I would say, hey, listen, if, if we're talking during class, or if we're gonna be meeting one-on-one -on -one privately, do not feel like you have to make eye contact with me. And I can't even begin to tell you how relieved my students are when I give them that option. And these are students that really do a good job making eye contact, so it's not like, I mean, I, I do think that they struggle, but it's not, they're, e they're able to disguise that they struggle with making eye contact. So. It's kind of funny if you're if you're a fly in the wall watching me talk to my students, it's literally we're either turned away from each other or we're kind of at a diagonal position. And it works great for them. And it also relieves a little bit of stress for me. Again, not because I struggle with making eye contact, but I experience a little bit of anxiety if I'm making eye contact with somebody that I know for a fact is not comfortable with eye contact. And I have an experience too, as, as far as a teacher. Yeah. So I, I knew this this student was on the spectrum and it was to the point, so we're, we're doing kind of independent work and activities and to help him focus, he would have his headphones on, which in my class is not a problem. In some classes, you know, the teacher has expectations, but I knew this kid was on the spectrum, so didn't have a, have a problem with that. So if I had to go to him, for example, I would go to the side of his desk, I would kneel down, I would point to his headphones, and I would indicate that I want those on his shoulder because I want to talk to him. So he would pull the headphones off, he would look at his computer, he wouldn't look at me, and I would say, okay, um, so until you need to do this, I want to make sure you're doing this, can I check on this real quick? I would look over his shoulder, and in and, and that way I'm establishing a comfortable relationship. In no way he's looking at me, but I know he's hearing me. And then I, I would say, thank you. And then we would move on. And so I'm not addressing him differently necessarily than anybody else, which I think he appreciated. But I did acknowledge that he ha he was on the spectrum and that he needed some extra cues. And I was more than happy to help him with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's great that you're able to create that safe space, even in a really subtle way. And I'm sure the student picked up on that. Yeah, it's important to figure your students out and to know as much as you can. Yeah, and I think it's also important for teachers to talk with their students and say, well, what do you think if I tried this? Or I know that you struggle with eye contact. How would you like me to handle that? It it really gives them a little bit of power and agency rather than feeling like they have to exert so much pressure and carry so much anxious burden to hide who they are and pretend to be normal and avoid getting in trouble with eye contact.
Yeah, absolutely. On a one-on-one situation, if I was still struggling with this student and we weren't communicating well, I would pull him aside outside of earshot of other people and say, uh, what can I do? What what can yeah. we do to to make this work better? Yeah. And even if I, you know, were talking to a student with autism and it had to be sort of a disciplinary conversation, I still would never require eye contact. To me, if you've established that relationship and that norm, don't change it in order to get compliance. That that just makes things worse. And if anything, if there's ever a time that somebody with autism does not want to make eye contact, it's during conflict, for sure. Oh, absolutely. I can attest to that. Joshua was in trouble many, many times with me. <laughs> and, and at no time did he make eye contact with me, which yeah. was fine. I, I, yeah. knew, I knew it. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. So another thing with the the topic of eye contact is I think it's okay to not make eye contact with friends or a significant other. There's this belief that parents have that if you don't make eye contact, you're never going to have friends, you're never going to be able to date. And I do think eye contact is important in the beginning of establishing those relationships. In my experience, you know, with my friend group, as well as knowing other people on the autism spectrum, your best friends and your life partner, they're not going to abandon you if you struggle to make eye contact or if you have any other autistic quirk. And at the end of the day, if I have friends that are not going to be comfortable with any sort of autistic thing I do, that's not a friend that I want to have. And at the end of the day, it really creates a lot of stress for me to hide parts of myself. And frankly, it's just not even possible for me to hide parts of myself because I'm such an open book about my autism. I really can't stress enough how important it is to be open about your autism with a significant other or more importantly, a roommate, because you can't keep up that facade of not making eye contact or, or sorry, making eye contact, you know, hiding or restraining your stims, your home environment should be the place where you can decompress, you can sort of let those barriers down. And if you're living with somebody that you feel like you have to keep up all of that effort to act normal, that's going to take such a toll on your physical and mental health. So in my opinion, I think you really should be transparent with your life partner about your autism, whether they're autistic or not. I think you bring up a really good point because so many times people on the spectrum, when they're navigating all of these social cues in either workforce or in school, it's just a high level of alertness and anxiety and um, all this mental attention that goes into this. It's exhausting. So at the end of the day, and you're going to talk about this in future podcasts, we're going to talk about overwhelm and the importance to have a place where you can decompress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you and people are just as important as safe spaces for decompression as the environment is for that, too. And speaking of environment, when it comes to the workplace, I think that if you have enough trust built with an employer or a coworker, I, you know, not making eye contact can be an accommodation to advocate for. In my time being a teacher, there are definitely administrators that I've worked with that I definitely feel comfortable saying, hey, 
I don't want to make eye contact. Is that okay? These are mainly people who have a background in special education or mental health. During my the the second school that I worked at, I had two evaluators. One of them had an extensive amount of experience as a special education teacher, and the other one was part-time administrator, part-time counselor. And both of those people did a really great job meeting my autism where it was. And then it goes back to my relationship with you, Brett, where, you know, if if you've got a safe person who has a lot of experience with autism, you know, you're going to be comfortable with me not making eye contact and not judge me for it. So I do think it's possible to find people at work. Granted, it does take time to find those safe people and build that trust. For me, I'm the type of person that's really comfortable being open with my autism right away. Day one, working at any job, I tell people I'm on the autism spectrum. In another podcast episode, I'm actually going to talk about revealing that I was autism in my interviews and still getting a job as a teacher. It's a really interesting story. Yeah, that's so, going to be a good one. Yeah, yeah. And so anyway, the the point I'm trying to make is I'm very comfortable with at least knowing, okay, this person is meant to support me. They're a safe space. I'll just come out and tell it within the first day or the first week, just so that I know that there are things in place to support me. But there are people on the autism spectrum where it might take months or even years to build that trusting relationship. And that's okay. However you open up about your autism is totally up to you. The point I'm trying to make is however long it takes to build that trust, I think trust is possible. And I think that it's absolutely doable to communicate that eye contact is a struggle, why it's a struggle, that it is part of a workplace accommodation. And when you talk about that with that safe person, that safe person can also coach you on how to make eye contact in situations where it might be a little more required, such as, you know, working in a team or working with customers, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. All of this to say, I cannot stress this enough. Eye contact should never be forced either emotionally or physically. Physically forcing eye contact in the workplace or in a marriage would be considered abusive. So why is it okay to do that with children? I really want to kind of repeat that and have you as the viewer really sit with that. If you imagine your spouse literally grabbing your face and forcing you to look at them, same thing with your boss, literally, that's not okay. That is abusive. And yet, if we go back to Maxfield Sparrow's story about a seven-year-old girl being literally having her face grabbed by her parents in order to make eye contact, why is that okay? Is it because they're children? Do parents think that that's okay because they have good intentions? And really, eye contact is about the security and assurance on the parents' end. If you're forcing eye contact, you're basically creating trauma for the child. And if anything, 
they're going to have less willingness to make eye contact. Absolutely. I also, and I also think that what's missing a lot with parents is having an honest conversation with your child about eye contact. Sit your child down and, and ask them, why do you feel uncomfortable making eye contact? When do you feel comfortable making eye contact? Who do you feel comfortable making eye contact with? Maybe that child doesn't want to interact or make eye contact with people their age, but they're comfortable doing it with adults or animals. It's not that people with autism will never make eye contact, but maybe there are certain groups of living creatures that they are comfortable making eye contact with, and it's important to know what that is. And actually, now that I just thought about it, going back to the neurology piece where there's a certain part of the brain that really struggles with facial information determining emotion, I wonder if people with autism don't struggle that much with animals because maybe animals have less of a range of emotional responses compared to humans. You know, as far as the facial structure, that. yeah, if you think about the facial structure um, and the expressive emotional behaviors that animals have, it's not as complex as humans. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's probably a good point. I also think it's important for parents to talk about when it's okay and not okay to avoid eye contact and why. And having that that normalizing human conversation about eye contact is often missing. I think parents just make the assumption, well, this is what you do. The goal of this podcast is to say, well, neurotypical people don't make eye contact, and yet we're constantly forcing people with autism to do it. So when is it okay to not make eye contact? When do neurotypical people not make eye contact? What are the consequences for avoiding eye contact? I think that this is a good conversation really for any kid because autistic kids in particular need to understand the why and it really needs to make sense to their analytical brain. So if you're asking them to make eye contact, say, here's why it's important, both the positives and the negatives. And then here's why it's okay and not okay to make eye contact. And kind of revisiting a point earlier, it's so important to talk about why even neurotypical people struggle to make eye contact. And especially, you know, if, if you have a certain cultural background that relates to that whole idea of, you know, it's respectful to not make eye contact. Maybe explain, you know, if, especially if, if you are, you know, a, an immigrant family, with a person on the autism spectrum, those cultural differences about, you know, okay, maybe in our home country, it's okay to not make eye contact. And then that might create a culture shock when you move to a Western country where they're mandating eye contact. That's going to be really tough. I think that's a great point because we definitely, well, as a teacher, I never really think about cultural experiences of my students of different backgrounds, especially when we're in a Western educational setting. Yeah. So just something else that we need to be aware of. Oh, definitely. 
I also think it's important to invest in body-based therapies such as yoga therapy, somatic therapy, or cranial sacral. One of the reasons that people don't make eye contact is because they're overwhelmed or overstimulated. There's an organization called Asperger's Experts, and the founder, Danny Raid, who's on the autism spectrum, calls this being in defense mode. It's going to be really hard to make eye contact if you're already in this really anxious, defensive place, and eye contact might escalate that feeling of being in defense mode. So teaching the body and specifically the nervous system to kind of take a chill pill can make eye contact more comfortable. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then, you know, you can teach tricks to pretend making eye contact, such as staring at someone's nose. This is actually how a lot of people with autism feign making eye contact. And yeah, neurotypical people, we're, we're not going to notice a difference, so it's fine. Yeah, well, and I'm sure neurotypical people struggle with eye contact and have those same little tricks and quirks as well. No, absolutely, especially with the uh, iPhone and phones, <laughs> right? We used to we used to make fun of students all the time who were in the hall. They're in the hall. It's passing period. They want to talk to their friends. What are they doing? They're crowding around in a circle, and they're all looking at their phones, and they're having conversations, and it's like blowing my mind. It's like, how do you... How do you engage in a, a, a deep conversation when you're looking down at your phone? I don't get it. Yeah. Anyway, that's just me. <laughs> the gripes of being a teacher. <laughs> and, and a parent. who. Oh, you know, God. Yeah. yeah. So, Brett, what advice do you have for parents that have concerns about their child avoiding eye contact? So much of what we've discussed already, um, and this is just something that I've instinctually have done with my son who's on the spectrum, is that let your child feel safe around you and family members. It should be a, a safe place to talk, to practice, to explain, right? And practice eye contact. Give them different ways to express to people that they're engaged and paying attention. So in other words, if you can have a conversation with your child saying, it's really important for people to understand that you're paying attention to them, what are some other ways that you can indicate that, yes, I'm listening to you without necessarily looking at them in the face, right? Mm -hmm. And and talking about some of those those options, right? The other mm -hmm. thing that um, I was thinking about and you brought up is that try to get them to in a place where they feel comfortable talking about their autistic needs to friends, coworkers, superiors, right? Because then once they have an understanding of, oh, okay, this person's on the spectrum and they have this particular need or they have this uh, situation, then I could be more understanding when I'm in a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. And then lastly is um, practicing those facial cues. So one of the, and we're going to talk about this in later podcasts, but um, facial cues and expression can be a source of avoiding eye contact because it's just so mysterious, right? There's these complexities and that's something um, Josh struggled big time with. Like when somebody has this, and we practice this in a mirror, when somebody has this angry face and a face looks like this and we'd practice that, what does that look like? This is what they're trying to convey to you in a nonverbal way. And how do you read that kind of thing? So all of these things can help. Mm -hmm. Any yeah. further advice from you? Well, you know, it, it, it brings up an interesting question in my mind. Um, one thing I like to do with these podcasts, especially as we're wrapping up the episode, is kind of reflecting on this topic from the perspective of being teachers. 
I think that parents really shoulder a lot of the burden of, you know, forcing eye contact or encouraging frequent eye contact. And sometimes caseworkers and therapists can do the same thing. I guess I wonder from the perspective of a teacher, we did talk a little bit about that it's okay for teachers to give a little grace to students with autism to not make eye contact. Absolutely. What are your thoughts on building those skills in the classroom and and not to say whether or not to do it, but I just wonder if you're a general educator, how much weight do you want to put on your shoulders as a teacher to teach those behaviors when that person with autism probably has other resources creating that support? Well, I think, again, it, it goes to knowing your students. Um, so in a le- regular classroom that I had and we taught uh, world history, autistic children in that situation were, were fine when it's me delegating, when it's me up in front of the classroom, when it's me saying this is what we're doing, blah, 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 and I'm in, I'm in the lead of this educational process. Autistic people struggled when it was a group setting. Mm-hmm. So then it became a kind of a classroom discussion. And again, for neurotypical kids, as well as people on the spectrum, what does it mean to be paying attention? And what does that look like? And so phones are away. We're engaging the conversation. Um, you can repeat back important things that somebody else said, right? So it's listening skills, for example. And that's an accommodation that I think that we all can manage pretty pretty clearly, pretty simply in our classrooms, practicing those listening skills. And that would enable people not to say, you have to look at me, right? No, there's other ways to convey that I'm paying attention. And here's one way I can repeat back to you what you said um, in this circumstance. Yeah, yeah. Going back to what you were talking about earlier about this whole generation of kids just being on phones. And I do think COVID made it so much worse because now all of the learning takes place on the phone, especially if you teach high school. The way that I would look at it, looking back on my past experience being a teacher, I don't feel like it was a priority for me, especially coming from an empathetic place. I did not feel like it was my right or my responsibility to teach an important life skill. I felt like I want to give them that safe space because they might not even be able to recognize what a safe space is or that it's even possible for them to get a safe space. And that requires a certain different set of skills, which is self-advocacy skills. I cared about that so much more than, you know, being able to say, hey, you're not making eye contact. Let me coach you on how to do that. All that being said, I do think that kids... Kids in general, not just kids on the autism spectrum, they struggle with that that piece of paying attention and what eye contact looks like for really showing active listening. And I also think that when when a kid grows up predominantly having that instant gratification with technology, speaking also as a millennial who had that happen, I think eye contact gets even harder because it's that whole idea of you need that constant stimulation and you need that that dopamine rush of something that interests you. And if it doesn't interest you, you're not going to make eye contact. I agree with you that 
if I'm seeing a majority of my students struggling to make eye contact and that skill would benefit everybody, I'm going to teach that. And I'm not going to single out my student with autism to do it. Absolutely not. Yeah. You know, but I, I do agree. I mean, not that in an art class, you know, kids are are doing team building skills like you would in a social studies class. But, oh, my God, I think students really don't know how to have those interpersonal skills of working in a team. And oh, I think not. that and, and I think that my point that I'm trying to make is if there is a social emotional skill that a majority of your students lack, whether they're autistic or not, it's totally worth teaching that skill. Um, but, you know, if, if, it's, if it's one kid on the autism spectrum that struggles with it, they already have so many people in their lives grinding them about, you need to work on this skill, you need to work on that mm -hmm. skill. I don't want to be that person. I'd mm -hmm. rather be the person that's like, hey, it's okay for you to not make eye contact than be one more person that's forcing them to do it. Right. And then it goes again to knowing your students. So if I had a student that was like that and everybody else was functioning productively in groups and one child wasn't, that'd be the time for me to pull them aside outside of earshot with other people and saying, I'm noticing that you're struggling with this. How can I help you? Mm -hmm. Right. Without making it a big deal. But like you said, everybody, from my experience as a teacher, classroom teacher, we all struggle with communication in groups and, you know, having some common lessons and we're all in the same boat, but we're all diverse. We all have unique needs, but here are some things that we all can practice. That's a different thing because now um, everybody's in the same boat and I'm not singling anybody out and we're learning together. Yeah. And, and you also brought up a really good point. How often... Do teachers, parents, therapists, how often do they ask the question, what can I do to help you? Mm -hmm. Because especially with the topic of eye contact, people will often just say, this is what you need to do without right. really meeting the autistic person where they're at and saying, what is the obstacle that's creating this issue with eye contact? And mm -hmm. what can I do to support you to feel comfortable with that? Or again, is it okay? Is it really mandatory for them to make eye contact with you? Right, right. Mm -hmm. Okay, I think it's a good time to wrap up the episode. All right, so what we did is we talked about the three causes for avoiding eye contact, namely neurological, sensory, and emotional. We discussed some common reasons why neurotypical people avoid eye, eye contact and various cultures. We talked a little bit about solutions to support a person with autism um, on making eye contact. Gave some advice in, on acceptance around that you don't have to make eye contact all the time. It should be okay. But in, in certain circumstances, it's important. And next week's episode, we could talk about that, is stimming. Nicole, mm -hmm. would you talk a little bit about what that is? Yeah. Just briefly, stimming is the repetitive body behaviors that are used to uh, regulate or to discharge stress. Stimming and fidgeting are are sometimes confused with each other. And in, and in some ways, stimming behavior is fidgeting behavior. But we'll get into that in way more depth next week. Sounds good. You, you can follow Understanding Autism on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to receive updates on our upcoming podcast episodes. 
I also make artwork and poetry to promote each episode, so make sure you take a look at that. Subscribe to Understanding Autism on YouTube and listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, etc. Like, subscribe, and leave a comment. And if you have questions for us, post them on our Facebook group or email us at Brett and Nicole at understandingautism.info. Again, that is Brett and Nicole at understandingautism.info. All right. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next week. Until then, I'm Brett Thayer. And I'm Nicole Cabillas. 